0: One...
1: Anthony Corbo and I'm Kyle Maggio and we got a
0: nice little uh nice little wake-up coffee pod going on right now uh just getting into the groove of the day and we have some uh some wonderful comments from the venerable Phil Jackson to discuss today um let's just since the last time we were uh talking together which was literally three days ago there's been a lot that uh a lot that went down we had We've got Phil being all kinds of crazy, uh, spitting just whatever comes out of his mouth and really just trying to put that nail in that Carmel Anthony coffin. We've got Derrick Rose uh, looking like potentially there might be a chance for him to re-sign with this team. We've got Kristaps Porzingis trying to uh, distance himself as far as he can from the team going back to Latvia. We've got Mello with Instagram posts and uh, you know the typical back and forth between him and Phil. We've got Noah out for four to six months. I mean, where does it end? I, I I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I was watching the whole thing. I was uh, tweeting it. And uh, the thing, here's my thing with it is he didn't, outside of saying Kim Noah was young, um, I didn't really find anything inaccurate. And I think that's what we have to kind of, divide this or separate this a little bit is that there there was truth to what he was saying and a lot of what he was saying is actually things that we would want to hear for example um you know hearing that they're rebuilding and embracing that hearing that they want to get younger hearing that they want guys who are more selfless and move the ball and play better defense that's all things that we want to hear so that's all good and well but then when you include the context in which it is said it it was said in such a way to throw Carmelo under the bus that's where all those answers stemmed from it was yeah it was, uh, you know, well, what does the future look like? Or what's the outlook for, you know, Carmelo Anthony here? And and to which the answer started with, well, I think he'd be a, uh, a player who uh, would be best playing somewhere else to try to win. Which is just like, my God, I mean, there's no sugarcoating that at all. No, and and, and that's... And again, not even that is an issue. That's fine. We all agree. I think pretty much everyone... Even probably Carmelo deep down at this point understands that. I'm sure
0: that. he does, but I mean, I'm sure it's not been no question for a while. But my God, that's like I've never heard a like a, a, a employer talk about an employee like that. You know, it, it's. I mean, yeah, you even had uh, Michelle Williams stepping in and talking about it. Yep. Um. It's just yeah.
1: Or I'm I sorry, just, not
0: Michelle Williams Michelle Roberts.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't know because I mean that's again, it's all fine and well. These, these are true things; these are accurate things. But you're the president of this basketball club. You shouldn't be publicly tanking the the value of your star, and you're you're right, basically just to get him out of there. Just to get him out of there. I mean, that's I, I get I get it. Again, none none of uh, nothing that he said was really false. It's just. The way that he did it, that's not when all eyes—it wasn't even like a passing comment in a side newspaper interview. You know, it was it was the end of season presser. Every right. eye is on him, and then he's throwing Mello under the bus, and then he says things like, "Well, we haven't been able to win with him on the basketball court." And in all fairness, while they may not have been super successful, they were still technically successful before Phil got here with just Mello.
0: Right. So I mean that's proven. They've given us the best season that, you know, we as fans have seen in in a very, very long time, back in twenty thirteen. I mean, that's still you know, whether it was, you know, for real or not, that season still you know, gives me a lot of gives me at least something good to look back on in the last couple of years. Gives me some kind of joy from the mellow era.
1: Well, yeah, and and then even the year before that was the lockout year. They won thirty six and thirty, made the playoffs as I think it was the sixth seed. You know, they got their ass kicked by the Heat and Shump went down. But,
0: you know, that was it was still a pretty all right season for what it was.
1: Yeah. The year before that, they made the playoffs, lost to the Celtics. I mean, they they still made the playoffs. They still that is a measure of success. And I mean, getting swept or a gentleman's sweep isn't fun, but it still counts. But but yeah, I mean, it's it was a mess. It it was a mess to publicly say that kind of stuff about Melo. pub. I I mean, it's it's a discredit to. You're not gonna be able to help yourself out. Now we got to, now you gotta to try to move him and now what?
0: I just I just know that you know, Melo has given the Knicks so so much over the years. And just so like, you know, he, he's got an, I mean he knows that his best chances are elsewhere. But I think, you know, when he signed this contract, he signed it with the intention of knowing that his best options might be elsewhere. And that when it comes to this crossroads in his career whether or not he wants to pursue those other options are going to be his, his. He wanted that to be his choice, and to kind of publicly shame him for wanting to have that choice and choosing to go, you know, potentially one way or potentially another is really, um, I think, really indictful on Phil. That's that's just not good. Uh, just not good team management,
1: in my opinion. It's no, it's it's not. Again, I, I liked the other things. There were things to take away from it that were fun, like the rebuilding, but
0: I just don't see why we gotta kick this guy while he's already heading towards the door.
1: You could you can do it though. You can do it but behind closed doors. You can say all of that behind closed doors, mm-hmm. like like a normal franchise. Like RC uh what's his name? R.C. Buford? Buford, yeah. Uh, of the, the Spurs would not have an end of season presser saying that it's time to move on from Tim Duncan like this. You know what I mean? Right, right. Oh, man, but but that's the whole thing.
0: That's the whole thing behind this whole Phil Jackson bullshit. You know, it's this is what I mean when I think that sometimes Phil, like for all of his, uh, you know, success in the past in the NBA and everything, you know, he just looks like he's, he's just playing the role here. You know, I'm not convinced he's learned a damn thing in the like three years he's worked this job for with the team. Um, he's like still consistently like making mistakes and being unprofessional to his workers getting called out by you know the players union it's just I he just looks to me like he's just playing this game for himself and for no one else sometimes you know I have I just every day I seem to be losing more and more confidence of Phil Jackson I didn't even know that was still possible at this point
1: yeah yeah I just you know I mean on top of that the the other Interesting little bits from this, um, you know that the, the derrick Rose commentary was sort of odd because, again, most of us th- there are a contingent of guys who do want him, and uh, as fans, and uh, most of us don't do not want him back. Mm-hmm. And Phil made a couple of interesting comments where some of it was a little hypocritical because he's talking about moving on from Carmelo because he wants a team focused on uh, selflessness and defense and. Derrick Rose is, is good at a handful of things at this point in his career, and those things are not selflessness and defense. So while, again, I said this on the last pod, I think there's a spot for him in the league with what he does. Someone's going to pay him for that. Um, it seems odd that the president of our team would sort of uh, say conflicting things like that because then, then he's basically saying, well, Derrick told me you know he wants another shot at redemption. He wants another shot to win, and it's like, but you're saying these same things about Carmelo that he wants a right. shot to win, but but Carmelo's got to go. But then you're gonna re-sign Derek. And none none of it really. So this is just him sense. like.
0: This is just him like picking and choosing his uh, like like picking and choosing his battles here. Is this is him picking and choosing like his beliefs and how he thinks he wants to run this team and just really like picking and choosing his friends here. And it all comes down to money though in the end, right? Like. He knows how much salary cap he wants to try to clear. He knows that that's his biggest goal. He knows that he can try to he can get Rose back on probably a cheaper contract now that he's been hurt at the end of the season again. Um, and you know it's like, just say that, you know, just say something like that, sugarcoat it however you can, but like it doesn't have to be like, oh, we want winners here, so we're gonna get rid of Carmelo Anthony who has led this franchise for six years now, uh, and we're gonna re-sign Derrick Rose who skipped out on a game earlier this season and gave us, you know, only, uh, you know, a limited version of himself on offense all season
1: long. That's that's what kind of gets me, too, is like you could say what you want about Carmelo as a player, but he hasn't had any off-court problems at all. And, even, and there's been a lot of opportunity for it, you know, um, between Phil saying things and George Carl saying things and even back when, you know, the, the CAA – you know, took over Madison Square Garden. and yeah. Everyone had the same agents, and, and that was a whole thing. But but he was always removed from it. Yeah. He just went down, played ball. and I mean, even this season, he was getting attacked every other, by his own franchise, every other week, it looked like. And then he just, publicly, he just kind of rolled it off his shoulders and kept playing. And then he got, but somehow he's under fire and needs to go. And again, Derrick Rose, who, who goes AWOL, that's what gets me, is he, he wasn't even really reprimanded for that. And then, you know, it's a, a lot it's just of stuff,
0: whatever it's advantageous to them. You know,
1: yeah, it, a lot of stuff just doesn't make sense. It's not. It's not right. I mean, if you're going to do something, do with the be consistent. You know, you got to everything's got to be treated accordingly, and and it hasn't. And that's sort of rubbed me the wrong. I mean, how do you not even learn from the Joe Kim Noah contract? How do you, how do you sign a guy who's had injury problems and who's a limited version of himself, and then look at Derrick Rose who got injured for you, and then, and then say yeah i don't he's just saying i don't i don't, I don't just get
0: whatever it. just whatever bit best fits at the time you know it's just kind of he's taking a question by question and i just i don't you know i'm with chris stops here at this point i don't see any direction i don't see anything i you know i'm i'm with Mello and his frustrations and the rest of the team with their frustrations i'm like i i don't understand the direction i don't have any confidence in phil jackson i don't It's amazing to me why they picked up that contract. I mean, it's not amazing to me. James Owen's been talking about picking up Phil Jackson's contract the entire season. It's just another damning thing that this franchise just continues to do itself instead of pulling out of the muck and, you know, just trying to recover from years of incompetence. But they just seem intent on hammering that nail into the coffin.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it just bothered me. It really did. I mean, especially, I, I said it like three times now, but I can't get over the hypocrisy. Like, yeah, Carmelo might stop ball movement, but Derrick Rose doesn't even start ball movement. So I don't, I just don't get, I, I don't get it. And then the next day it comes out that there's mutual interest between this. I just, a lot of it rubs me the wrong way. I, I don't really yeah. get the angle. And then on top of that, like you're saying, with Kristaps, now Kristaps is pissed off. This is year two. Yeah, we pissed that, him off that, already. Yep,
0: and this is like, this has been like kind of the shadow over the head now. At this point, this and this is going to follow since the next season. We already have some drama set up for us. It's, and I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it puts Phil right on the hot seat. You know, it's like, get your shit together. Get a roster built around Chris stops If you're going to trade Melo, trade Melo. Get him out, you know? If you... Rose is an interesting case. I will say this right now. There is a case to be made for Derek Rose playing for this team next year. Without Carmelo Anthony, I think even more so. Because, you know, it was it was too crowded with all three of them on the floor this year. You know, this is going to be another losing year coming up. If you want to, lose, if you don't acquire that point guard that they need, or if they get someone in the draft, get, having Derrick Rose out there for one more season might not be the worst idea. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of that plan, but I can see it coming through. You know, but now it's like let's let's make that happen if it's going to happen. Let's get some pieces around Chris Stops already that you know, that he can comfortably grow around, and so he can see a path to the future. And if you can't do that, then Phil needs to get out of here. And Dolan needs to realize that that's
1: what needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, my my biggest problem with Phil is that he keeps us bad in the present, is the way I'll word it. Because we've had bad GMs before, but the bad GMs have kept us bad in the present and bad long term. And Phil, remarkably, has only kept us bad in the present. Like, we still have all of our draft picks. We have a ton of cap flexibility. So, I, yeah, you he's can't really... He's
0: still playing with fire here. I mean, yes. you, know, you, you say that, and then you look at the Joakim Noah contract. You say that, and you take a look at what what could happen with Derrick Rose this season. I mean, is Derrick Rose going to get four years and $72 million now? Because that seems like a likely scenario.
1: Well, that's that's exactly it. The summer's kind of make or break, because now you have three years where we've lost 50 or more games. You have three years when we've been in the lottery. You know, the the... It's sort of enough is enough. You got to draw the line somewhere. You got to start competing in some point. You know, if he's done some nice things with the draft, you know, with Phil, uh, sorry, with KP and uh, with Billy, so you got to you got to kind of hope that. Yeah, he had he had a good draft year, but
0: you know, I look towards. I mean the the one before that when we had those two second round picks I thought he did a pretty good job too he had got Cle Anthony and uh, the other Anadikumpo brother out of it um, neither of them panned out to be anything but it, they were worth they were a good process for a little bit and they cut bait with them when they needed to fine with that still not a bad draft you know Chris stops was a great find you were primed to put in position for that pick though so I mean you know. Good, good move taking him, but you were you didn't have to work that hard for that one. Billy is is probably the crown jewel in my opinion because you really dug him up. You get found someone who would work well with crit stops that you know has chemistry, and you got him way way late in the draft. So and yeah. you bought him for cheap off of Philly. So you know a- good move on that Phil. But now is going to be the time for him to prove that he is the if he can do anything he can draft players. If he can do yeah. that, then there's probably a role for him somewhere within the team. But the amount of power he has right now, and the amount of power that's gone to his head so far, is just appalling.
1: Well, well, that's exactly, and I mean, he's especially in comparison to the other things. You know, he hasn't really been able to manage. He hasn't really been able to trade. He's lost every trade for the most part. So, the only real win it looked like he was going to get this year was the the Rubio trade, and then that fell through. So, yep. um,
0: it's, his cracks are starting to show.
1: Yeah. So, but I mean, this is when I say make or break. I mean, he's got to. If there was ever a year, like you've drafted well enough, you got two what looks like building blocks. KP's obviously the massive, big cornerstone. And then you have Billy, who at the moment looks like he could really be a complimentary piece. So you have two good guys, two good young guys, second and third year players going into next season. So what are you going to do with it now? You have a top pick, a lottery pick. We might get a top five pick out of this. So now what? You know, you got to nail this pick. You got to nail this pick. If you nail this pick... Everything else becomes a little bit easier. Like let's say, you know, I love De'Aaron Fox. Let's say he gets De'Aaron Fox. Sure. De'Aaron Fox is a home run pick. Now you got De, uh De'Aaron Fox, KP and Billy. They could lose 50 games, but if those guys are still balling and playing well, nobody's gonna give a shit because right. they know, well, now he's hit so many home runs on these picks. But the other part of this too is I mean, you still gotta sign guys. You right. still gotta be able to attract guys. You and you the one thing that I'll give him outside again, the the NOAA deal is the black mark, but we have cap flexibility. He's kept us on short deals, flexible deals. So right.
0: clear, and if he does manage to clear out Melo's contract, and you know, we'll we'll still see what he can manage to get for Carl Anthony's contract. Because you know, as much as we feel like he's kind of hurting his value a little bit, Melo is still Melo is still Melo. You know, he's still going to be attractive to these teams that want him. So it's like we're still going to get something back for him. Yeah, we'll see what kind of complimentary pieces or draft picks end up coming back but you know if he this is also another chance for him to prove that he knows what he's doing you know if you're going to trade him fine you didn't really didn't have to kick him out the door on the way out but you know if you let's see what you can do with that let's see what you can do with this pick see what you can do with signing some players at free agency i mean this is going to be a big big summer for him but the yep. problem is the only person who seems not to have Phil Jackson on a on the hot seat right now or to really care about what Phil Jackson is doing as the team's owner. I mean, I the, the guy's boss doesn't care about what he's doing, so what's he going to do,
1: you know? Well, that's, that's sort of the other finicky thing that I'm hesitant to bitch about because he's been so involved in the past, Dolan, you know, when Donnie Walsh did a great job of, basically getting us in a similar position where we had a lot of good young talent and we had flexibility going forward uh, with cap room. And then Donnie Walsh didn't want to pull the trigger on a Carmelo Anthony deal. Dolan said, "Okay, well, I'm going to pull the trigger on a Carmelo Anthony deal. And then we gave up the farm. So after that and going forward, you know, we we've always openly bitched about, well, you know, he needs to be removed from basketball operations. And now it appears as though he is removed in basketball, making decisions and letting Phil do whatever bullshit Phil is doing. And now he's refusing to step in at a time when he might maybe should be stepping in. And that's sort of confusing because now it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if he steps in and things go bad, we're going to blame him. And and he, he's not a sympathetic figure. I don't want to make it seem that way either. But I mean, we did ask. In all fairness, we did ask for him to just not do anything with basketball. And it seems like, we, I mean, we'll find out, but it seems like he yeah, did listen.
0: Yes, he did listen. But there, there's another side of this whole thing. There's a side, there's a side of him that has to be, um, you know, an owner and a boss. Responsible. And, um, the A responsible owner, right. So he needs to make sure that when he steps outside of basketball, there's a role for him within basketball operations, right? It's not, you know, pulling trigger on trades and, and acquiring talent. It's acquiring the. Well, I guess it is acquiring talent in a way, but it's acquiring the talent that's going to acquire your on-court talent. You know, he's in charge of putting together that front office that is going to be respectable and is going to be able to, you know, bring in the players that they want and establish the culture that they want. That's his job right there. Um. So when he says he's going to completely step away from basketball operations he needs to make sure that he can leave he has a team already out there who is ready to run those basketball operations and that's not to say that since he doesn't he should come back and do this it's to say that he needs to go and replace some members of that team that he brought in to find that talent in order to you know that that's the role that he has to play here that's the only role he has to play and right now it just seems like he's playing a game of
1: I told you so with Knicks fans Basically, yeah, it, it, and it's un—it's unfortunate, really. Um,
0: this team is so fucking petty. It's—it's it's ridiculous.
1: It just—it's—it's it's confounding because there are exactly like you're saying, like there are times and places for an order to step in, and it's—it's it's hysterical that he makes the wrong decision every time. Yeah, both sides of the coin. It's—it's it's like key you would eventually think he'd run into the right thing once in a while and it looked maybe that was the 54 win season maybe I should bite my tongue but yeah. but um yeah it's it's that certainly it got, wasn't
0: like, proper planning that
1: brought that season on no no I think it was just everything kind of panned out but oh mellow, uh,
0: mellow playing like the uh like the prime mellow that he was that was our flash right there that was a flash of glory that we had from Carmelo Anthony I I hope we all and everyone out there. I hope we all really, really took that in and just just wallowed in it for a solid. What did we play? Eighty two games and like how many playoff games did we end up playing?
1: Uh, six in each round, twelve I think. Six in each
0: round. Okay.
1: It was Nixon six against the Celtics, and then it was Nixon. Uh, no, the Pacers beat us in six. Yeah. So. Because we looked like we were all set to win that uh, sixth game until okay. Hibbert snuffed out uh, Melo at the rim. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all then... Right. Ab- so for 94 games in
0: 2012 and 2013, we had just a blaze of Carmelo Anthony glory like we'll never see again, had never seen before that. And it was surrounded by some cool friggin' players too. Like we had Rashid Wallace out there and... Yeah, and Jason Kidd, and, like, my God, that was, uh, you know, Canby, Thomas, it was awesome. That that last Kurt Thomas game, too, was such a cool way to go out in the blaze of glory. Like, that was, like, this is t- such a tangent, but that was, like, a uh, like movie theater style, like, get to the ship, I'll protect you. That was a get to the <laughs> chopper moment. He just, like, throws everything he has left in the tank out there, and then, like, retires next day. Like, so fucking cool, Kurt Thomas. You're the man. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I, I've never in my adult life had that much fun watching basketball over the course of a season because you, we all just didn't – we forgot what that was like. Like, the last couple of years, like, they had good teams, regular good teams, you know, yeah. low-end, low-to-mid-end uh, playoff teams. And and that was fun. That was enjoyable. But, like, we got to the playoffs and knew, like, well, we're probably not going to beat the Celtics the first year. We didn't, yeah. Well, we're really not going to beat – uh, the Heat, that's a death matchup. And yeah. then and, and then, then, Rashid Wallace
0: came out of retirement and the ceiling hit the
1: roof. That's all it was. Yes, the ceiling was the roof. And, <laughs> and um, But it was it was fun. I had so much fun. I, even immediately after game six in, in the second round, we lost to the Pacers. I I, re- I remember tweeting immediately after the loss. I wasn't even that angry. I was just like, you know what? That was the most fun I've had watching a Knicks basketball season in what feels like forever, yeah. and because it was, and I, I was actually since very, my very childhood,
0: thankful. Really, that's I mean that exactly. was the
1: most fun. Yeah, I think since I was yeah like eight or nine years old, that was the most fun I had had, and I was like you know really honestly very thankful for that season because it kind of like I don't know I haven't felt joy like that. It, it's different when, when that happens. It it really right. And I mean the
0: the pieces surrounding that team are like like that's what I'm talking about right there. You know, we had we had good, solid, we had Woodson was one of our best coaches of the, last, of the last, you know, of this era, of this century. Mike Woodson is right up there, like, top three or four Knicks coaches we've had in a long time. Um, you know, and it's just like, you know, they went out there and they got the solid talent that they needed. They, you know, had solid pieces running the uh, running the front office. And it was just that was uh, still uh, Grunwald there, right? Yeah, yeah. So Grunwald was running the uh, was running the front office, and he was you know acquired all the talent that we needed. Uh, didn't pull off any kind of you know super insane trades or anything like that. We had you know Mello doing this thing. We had Prime or end of Prime Tyson Chandler. Um, you know we had Amare contributing for all for whatever he was worth. And then a bunch of other guys just kind of chipping, in. J.R. Smith even with six man of the year. Like we had guys who wanted to play for a coach that they really respected, and a competent front front office that was running everything. We were, you know, we're not that far away from that. That wasn't that long ago. But just this whole this whole regime that came over and changed things out and just totally, totally shifted the culture of this team is like. I'm just like what? Like I am just lost now as a Knicks fan. You know, I, I just can't seem to find any direction in this like cloaked, veiled front office that just seems yeah. to be Steve Mills, Phil Jackson, Jim Dolan.
1: Yeah, I mean it's cause there is no direction, unfortunately. We again it, it looked like Phil was actually laying the groundwork for a good rebuild. He blew it all up, they got KP, they took a step forward, they won like what, seventeen more games the next year after they got KP very short, flexible, cheap deals with some vets. Now, that's what I started to think was going to be the expectation going forward. That's why this year made no sense to me because it was like, well, you you did the first two parts of rebuilding, I thought, really well. And then what happened after that? I mean, then we even drafted uh, Billy, who ended up being a good pick. And then it's like Derek Rose and Joe Key. Again, I I got... Okay, yeah,
0: so so taking a look taking a look at that that's a real challenge right that's the you know he did the beginning right he he started rebuilding right he even started at the very beginning pretty all right you know for whatever it's worth he didn't get enough out of the tyson chandler trade but he still got the two second round draft picks So he got on you know players with a decent amount of potential who looked like they could be at least a little bit nba ready to play with early and aneta kumpo um you know everyone everyone liked those draft picks you realize you could have gotten more for Tyson Chandler right now, but you know you probably didn't need to take on Jose Calderon for so long. You know Larkin was a bum. Yeah, you know, it, it's all you know, it's set and done. Fine, whatever. So he starts off well there. He gets his draft picks uh, the next year. He does well there. You know he he blows that team the fuck up. You know we win seventeen games. Jason Smith plays considerable minutes for us. Blow that team up. Yeah, we get Chris Ops. We get Billy the next year a little bit better you got a couple of guys you try out and I really we were talking about this on the last podcast but I really liked how that how that team was kind of put together you know a bunch of guys that seem like not all of them were going to work out for the Knicks but maybe two or three could stick around and then you could kind of s- start putting the you know the pieces together for a team like that because that's really how you build a team and build culture it's like little by little you find guys who can stick around like you know you, you keep two or three guys a year around, and you keep on acquiring more talent as you move forward. And then you're right. And then it came time to maybe... And then after last season, we had some guys leave, and some guys uh, you know get traded. It came time to really... It was getting closer to that crossroads of, okay, the tank is just about over. Now we have to really start building up from here. We're starting to acquire that talent that we've been looking for. And it's just... It's what came next and it's how he's executing the first stages of the building back up from the tank has been really, really telling as to, I mean, this was just a mistake here when it comes down to it. This is him getting way too far ahead of himself, trying to find veteran talent that didn't pan out. He was basically trying to find trying to replicate, I think, the model of that 54 win season, but he did it poorly with expensive contracts instead of finding guys who could really provide leadership on the cheap.
1: It was just, I mean, I understand you got to gamble a little bit, you know, but it was like...
0: You don't have to gamble on Joakim Noah after, you know, missing an entire season.
1: Yeah, that's what got me. It was like, I know you're looking for talent, and I know last year wasn't exactly the greatest free agency pool outside of Kevin Durant, but, you know, it was like, like, God damn, like, at least do a shorter deal. Like, give him a two-year max contract, you know, whatever you could offer for two years, something short, like a prove-it deal, but like... Even if it had just been Derrick Rose or just been Joe Noah, I don't even think I would have been as mad. But it was like the combination of gambling on both of those two was le- it was confounding because right. it was like the Bulls just ha- imploded the last couple of years because those guys weren't able to help and stay healthy and be good anymore. And it was like you're gambling on both of them. That's what confused me. You're gambling right. on two guys – that fell out in Chicago. It That's where I kind of lost and it. And the
0: NBA is always about winning in new ways. Like, it's always about... It's always going to be about you have... it's The league is constantly evolving, is what I mean to say. So it's like you're always going to have to find new ways to win. So why are you trying to beat the dead horse of the Chicago Bulls' core from 2011 when the league has so clearly evolved in so many different ways since then? You know, it's like... You, know, you want to try something new, and you want to try to get some proven veterans in there to win more games. That's fine. That's totally how you do things. That's good thinking by Phil Jackson. But it's awful execution by thinking that because a formula worked in 2011, when these guys were much younger and the game play, it was played in a pretty different way, that they can go ahead and come into New York with a totally different supporting cast and replicate it when they're not even the main guys anymore.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I just... I really hope that... You, look, you took your gamble. Move on. I mean, uh, Noah signed now. That's fine. But this year clearly didn't work with everybody you had in hand. So you're trying to get Carmelo out. Let Just please let Derrick Rose walk. Why try to keep the core of this team intact when it didn't work? Just please just move on. Start fresh. You're talking about rebuilding and ball movement and defense. I hope that... What I really hope is that maybe for whatever reason he just likes Derek Rose or he's sympathetic to him as a person. And that's why he said those nice things about him in the press conference. I, I really hope it kind of stops there, like basically giving a an open referral, you know, to I other hope- teams. Like like oh we, like look, he had a good year, you know, he played well, he wants to prove himself, play for a winner. Like maybe he was just trying to give him some sort of a public endorsement. I'm just trying to wrap See, my head around that this. right there.
0: That right there is why the Carmelo Anthony shit pisses me off so much. Cause he could be doing the exact same thing with Carmelo Anthony. He could be so upright. Like he's being so frank about this situation anyway. He could just be frank about it and be like, listen, he's not, he doesn't fit into our plans anymore. The t- it's, for, it's for the betterment of the team to move forward in a different direction and it's for the betterment of Carmelo's career for him to move forward in a different direction. You know, I've spoken with him at length about it, and you know, we will have a decision in the coming weeks about how we want to approach this. That's literally all the fuck you need to say, Phil. You don't need to throw him right under the bus uh, as many times as you can throughout the year, and then give Derek Rose his shining endorsement when we know that Rose was not any better this season for New York. He was not any better, you know, off the court than Melo was. And he presents more issues long term than Mello ever will. And yeah, it's, I, yeah,
1: it's it's confounding. It's conf- it's it's, it's, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's it's a lot of things. It's just you know he had some issues early in his career. Mello, like many young players, do. Yeah, he and grew he's up. Mello it's, is is such a he, he's the consummate professional. Yeah. He's he's wonderful with public relations. He handles himself, carries himself very very well. And he's just really grown as a person, and that's what frustrates me more. Is if, if you know, I, I've enjoyed Melo's time in New York, and I understand it's time for him to move on as a player. But I'll always love that guy, and just watching him Melo grow, especially since he's, he's he's a great person, and my, he's one of my favorite
0: NBA personalities for sure. He's you know, probably still, yeah, you know, my favorite player. He's gonna be my favorite player for a while. Just like, you know, I just I love watching him play every time I watch him play. I love the work he does outside of basketball. I think he's incredibly smart, and I think for him to be treated this way by his own, you know, team and his own uh, you know, bosses and coworkers or not, is not uh it's just not fair to him. No. Um was there anything else from that press conference uh that was re- really caught your ear? Um I heard a rumor um and this is part of the reason why chris ops said he is going back to lafayette for a an extended period of time this summer um that there is an open rebellion amongst Knicks players of the uh triangle offense do we uh i heard i've heard that term thrown around a couple of times but i haven't really seen anything uh concrete on
1: that do you do you, you know he, anything more about that he did in the press conference he did mention now that you mention it he did say uh that there was, a rebe- there was a rebellion of sorts. And I, I found that kind of funny because it, it kind of correlated with Chris Dapps leaving and-, and everything else too. Like, I think, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm reading between the lines properly, because Phil in the same press conference about Chris Dapp said, when they asked if he's ready to lead, his uh, answer was very – straight up, but yeah. also he he didn't really answer the question at first. He was like, he's twenty one years old, so no, I don't think so. And then they later asked him, Well, is every you know, is Chris Stapp's untouchable? And he said, Well, I think everybody is always available. Which not really is it's not really the worst answer. Cause even uh Great. because even I remember Stan van Gundy, I think it was early this season so, someone brought something up about um Andre Drummond being untouchable and he had the same reply and then someone like was kind of taken aback by like, well you would trade him and he's just like there's a price for everybody.
0: Yeah he's like Yeah, I hey, think that's very that's a very fair way to put it too. I, I don't really knock Phil for saying that so much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because that that one he's like, Yeah, there's a price for everybody. He's like, i he's like, you know, I can't say he's untouchable and then someone's gonna give me you know, three first team, all NBA players. And then I'm supposed to say, no, it's
0: like, Hey, we want to trade you, you know, we'll trade you Ricky Robio for, uh, for Derek Rose, but it has to include, you know, Chris sauce, Porzingis, and we'll give you Carl Anthony towns. Like, I don't know. You probably do that trade. If I, if we're doing towns for Porzingis, you know, that's what it probably comes down to. But the, you're right. There's no player who's ever untouchable. Um, yeah, you know, but the the thing is he needs to say that you know the price is you know super you know that he is he is the guy right now and he specifically said that Chris Sops is not the man yet.
1: I just think the timing for it was a little bit like for example to say it about like an Andre Drummond who's been on the team for a while you're still trying to figure out a way to win with him. It it's more acceptable in the context of it whereas KP everybody knows and even KP knows this team is moving and gravitating towards building around him. Right. So then to have your president publicly say after year two of, you know, KP averaging almost two blocks a game, almost eight rebounds on 18 points, like while being an elite rim protector, for then your president to be like, well, no, he's not ready to lead. He's also not untouchable. It's sort of deflating. Just, and then where's the support, you know, like. Yeah. It, but what I'm thinking is uh, we went off a little bit on a tangent, but. um. What I'm thinking happened is with this rebellion, I think it was probably led by KP and Mello because it doesn't seem like a coincidence. This is my theory. It doesn't seem like a coincidence that um they both kind of got outed in the press conference yeah. to some degree. And they they seem to have bonded pretty strongly. It you know, KP wasn't high on this team all year. He said little things publicly that kind of threw shade, but now it's starting to see as soon as mellow got really thrown under the bus all of a sudden kp's like yeah well fuck the exit meeting so it all just kind of seems like which i I like those i i
0: I really like that he did that you know fucking stick it to him kp this is your team you you show it to him
1: yeah so i i was kind of i was happy about that to some degree you know i think uh reed or somebody in the group chat brought up you know bomani jones said while i understand while he's mad doesn't he understand that the exit interview is kind of the place that you would go to vent and voice those frustrations which true which while true for a normal team very true but for a team like the Knicks I think desperate times call for desperate measures right and and, and time I think, and
0: place has never quite been the mantra with this team never. i never mean, with the the fucking Phil Chronicles last season we can point to you know everything that Phil has done the mellow all season long you know his press conference and what he's saying in there, even, you know, this is not a team about time and place. This is a team about you know surprise headlines and hot takes at the wazoo. You
1: know, it, it's
0: ah, oh, it's frustrating.
1: Yeah, it, it really is frustrating. But again, it, there's a time and a place, and I think you got to fight fire with fire sometimes. And and I that's why I like the move, knowing this organization like we do. I think, yeah, you know, Chris Stapp's fuck it, just skip the meeting. Skip yeah. the meeting, but burn it all down. If they, I mean, if they're not, if they're not interested in making this work around you, you know, then fuck it, burn it all down. You do what you got to do. Stick up for yourself. To carry mm-hmm. yourself first. You know, if if you guys have a falling out between the team and Chris Taps like we, I think is inevitable at some point. Then I want him to have a. very – And I said this before too. I said this at the beginning of the year, and I got caught under fire for it because uh, I said something like someone asked like if you could uh put any player on any team. Where would you put them? And I was like, Chris Stepp's on the Spurs. And then everybody got mad at me online. And I was like, but we fuck up everything. And I really like Chris Stepps. I think Chris Stapps should have a really good career somewhere. And I think you let him go to the Spurs, I think it'd be a wonderful, wonderful thing. He's going to play for like 25 years. He's going to get like seven rings with Pop. It'd be a wonderful thing. You know, I, I don't think that it was really that outlandish. And now, at the end of year two, he's already skipping exit meetings. It's it doesn't look that far fetched for me to want to salvage his career somewhere.
0: I just, you know, I want. I think you and I can both agree on that. All that being said, that we want Kristaps on the Knicks more than anything. We want a competent Kristaps and a competent Knicks team more than anything. Like that's the ideal. Um, but man, like, if because I don't want to, I don't want to be this hopeless right now. I want something here I want something to look forward to I want I, I'm afraid I, I, I want, have some bad news I want some I know but here's it's all I gotta come down to it I gotta I gotta hope that there's brighter days on the horizon like I need to in my heart of hearts as a Knicks fan I need to believe that something good will come out of all this because otherwise what's the point you know like uh, otherwise there, there's it's not like I'm enjoying watching this team play right now Yeah, I I gotta believe that one day in a not so distant future I'll be able to see Chris Alps balling out of his goddamn mind. Like on the block from three, swatting the shit out of that ball. I gotta believe it's gonna happen. I gotta believe it's gonna happen for a fifty win team. Like within within the next five years, I just some part of me somewhere believes that this could still happen. And maybe it comes down to what happens at the draft this year. Maybe it comes down to some free agents, you know, taking a chance on the Knicks coming here. I don't quite know. Maybe it comes in a regime change and a front office change. And maybe Chris House will be enough to get Phil Jackson out of here. But it's I gotta believe that somewhere, somehow stops will be enough to bring this team back to glory and ball out of his friggin' mind in the process. What
1: I'm thinking is we're going to get a shittier version of the Dirk Nowitzki-Dallas Mavericks era where we'll probably never end up as a top seed, but we'll always be in the middle of the pack in the East with KP. Like, that's sort of what I'm—this is just what I'm envisioning. And then he's going to have this, like, grizzled— Difficult career of succeeding and then eventually in like year 16 of his career. He's just gonna run into one The same way yeah. Dirk did it Didn't just have a 2011 title run. Yeah. Yeah, something so it's just gonna. Everything kind of falls into place. Nothing makes sense It'll be very 54 win year-esque for us very 2012-esque. And he's just gonna run into one and then You know the whole uh, you can't win with Chris Stapps thing that will have developed. Well, that will be broken It's gonna be a very very exciting time, but it's gonna happen when we're like forty two. So see, I I'm gonna stay
0: more hopeful than that. I'm going to I'm gonna hope that there is there is something on the horizon for the Knicks and Chris is gonna leave the charge. It might not be a title. It might be a title. It might not be. It probably won't be for a long time. But something. It's a couple of seasons of some solid Chris is led playoff basketball. I just, I gotta believe it's out there. I gotta believe it's out there, and I gotta believe it's in the orange and blue.
1: Well, as, as Trey has often said, after we get Markel Fultz this, uh, in the draft, uh, this is going to be a very good team. Yeah, he wants to you know, come he, here. He said it'd be incredible. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm always very, very scared, and we always what?
0: it's 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 amazing because we always forget about this with draft picks. So it's entirely up to them where they play. It's, it's draft picks have all the choice in the world, which team they decide to go into in the NBA. So naturally, Marco Fultz will come play for the Knicks and what I was talking about will happen. Right. That's how this whole, that's how this whole thing works.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe in the same world, I'm dreaming about 54 win seasons with Chris Sops, but we'll see. Oh man. Well, this is where we're at. This is it. I'm excited for the draft. I'm excited for the draft too.
1: I, I really am. Um, you Just know, need a
0: little something to break this up. We're not yeah, in a good for,
1: place right now. Yeah, for our listeners, we're gonna have some. Uh, we have some fun stuff planned for the draft. So, uh, nothing, nothing to uh, announce yet. But um, we're gonna have some good guests on. We're gonna have a lot of good in-depth coverage on this, and we're gonna try to be as informative as we can with our perp- uh, prospective prospects. So, uh, hopefully. You know, we can get around to that soon because I'd really there's a lot of good prospects this year and I'd like to get some good discussions. So
0: it's a pretty good um, lottery. So that's what I'm saying, man. It's a pretty good lottery. The Knicks have a pick in it. You know, not sure where it's going to fall yet. They got a pick in it. And, you know, that's that's something that's something to break it up a little bit. That's uh, and free agencies around the corner. There are chances for this team to start turning this thing around. They yeah. really, really, really need to start playing their cards a little bit.
1: You know, I'm just, if we, uh, I'm holding, I, I got an oddly good feeling, which probably means we're going to get like the 13th pick, but I have an oddly good feeling that we're going to end up in the top five.
0: Hey, you're coming around. Look at that optimism.
1: Oh, only because of the numbers. I just feel like just, just off the the numbers and us kind of, I mean, yeah, we, I wouldn't say we got effed out of it, but we got KP who looks like the second best player in that draft now, but you know, we got the fourth pick in that draft and it's like, you know, I I think we're kind of due for, for something to break our way. I mean, maybe not. It's also the Knicks, but we'll see. I'm feeling like a top five pick is coming. Who oh, is about the number with you? So, three to five. I think three to five is coming. That's a,
0: it's a bold prediction. I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not too, I'm not, I don't think we're too far off with there. I, I would say probably five to eight is my prediction. Somewhere in there. I think that's, you know, where the numbers are showing, but you know, I mean could be a little above, could be a little below, but like I said, there's a lot of lot of good players in this draft, and like we were talking about on the last episode, we just gotta go for who's best. I think, you know, ideally, ideally, ideally a point guard, but there's a lot a lot of talent to be found. Um Alright. I gotta uh yeah, get out of here. I'm gonna work on some graphics. Get a, we got a TKW roundtable coming out today, folks. Uh got some contributions from my man Kyle here. Uh, a lot of a lot of end of season little nitpicky questions to uh to uh finish answering. So stay tuned for that. And we still got content coming out all week long. Don't think we're slowing down just because the next season slowed down. Um yeah, but I think uh, I think that's about all the news we got for now. We'll keep you updated if anything else comes out. If Phil opens his mouth up anymore this week, if we see any more back and forth between Mello or KP goes somewhere else, or if he signs with a Latvian team or something like that, like we got you covered. We promise. Um, yeah. You can follow the Knicks Wall on Twitter at Knicks Wall follow myself at wish i was Corbo. file uh, follow kyle uh at maggio mba and yeah that's about it for this week so stay tuned and we promise we'll get you guys through this
1: yep take care